This week, we talk about how to set goals in the early days of a startup, how important marketing momentum is, giving customers a product roadmap, and more. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Uh, I've been reading some more. You remember uh, a couple weeks ago I mentioned that Turn the Ship Around book? I don't know. Have you had a chance to like get that or anything? I have it in my Kindle, but I haven't opened it yet. I'm actually... I read a different book by an admiral. <laughs> a different <laughs> it's all admiral. military themed yeah. books here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a really slow reader, so I you know might do like a chapter a, a week or something like that. So mm. um, I'm only mentioning it because I, as I go, I'm kind of taking notes on the little takeaways I had, and I had another takeaway here, so I figured I'd it? mention it. So um, the summary, the, the way the book describes it is the concept is thinking out loud. The context. So for people who didn't listen to that episode. The book is about a submarine captain who takes over an underperforming sub and gets it performing well. And so it's all about the leadership aspect of that. And he tells a story about, I don't know anything about this, like submarines or anything, but like one person says, the navigator says to the steerer or whatever, hey, turn left. And the steerer person doesn't do it right away. And so the captain says, hey, that person said turn left. Why aren't you turning left? And then he's like, well, he's been giving me the calls a bit early, so I'm waiting 10 seconds, and then I'm going to turn left. Very, very minor interaction. But the point in the book is that whether it's like a boss and their employee or two coworkers, it really like makes that other person feel like they're not in control. Like Like they're being watched, and they don't really have the autonomy to do what they think is necessary. And so it was a really bad interaction, despite being pretty minor. Okay. Um, so that's the premise. Like, you, you follow all that. <laughs> I, I, can you summarize it? The the premise? Yeah, the premise. Like, wh- what? I'm not sure. I, I haven't given up. the lesson yet. Okay, I haven't okay, given the lesson cool. yet. Go, go but ahead. that's the that's the premise. I understand that the situation. Okay, okay, the situation. Yeah. Uh, so the takeaway was like the the captain looks at the situation, and says, "What what do we have to do differently?" And institutes a think out loud rule, which is basically saying other people can trust you a lot more. If you're doing, there's like these formal types of communication, which is, hey, turn left. But there's all this informal communication around it, which is like, okay, I'm going to, but you've been giving me these a bit early, so I'm going to wait 10 seconds. And just that little informal note about why you're doing what you're doing, not only does it help you think through it, but it, everyone around you now has some context about what's going on, what's going through your head, and they can trust you to make the decisions a lot more in the future. So I thought that was an interesting concept. And the, the, you're calling it thinking out loud. Um as opposed to just acting. Right. Yeah. I think that's right. Cool. Yeah. I, it's funny that you say that because when I, I'm, I'm someone who likes to think out loud a lot and I feel like there's another end of the spectrum, which is thinking out loud too much, which causes <laughs> confusion. So it sounds mm-hmm. like what we're really talking about here is explaining why you're doing something and not letting people guess. Yeah. Give, like giving people context for the decisions that you're making so that they can understand why you're making them. Yeah. And, and now that I think about it, we, when we train people at Lesson Learning Serum on how to give demos, we call this meta commentary, basically saying like you have a plan in your head for how the demo is going to go. Just tell the customer, like walk them through, say, okay, based on what you've told me, we're going to start here and then move on to that. And don't worry. I know you say you want to talk about MailChimp integration. We're going to talk about that at, at the end. Just kind of like 
making it clear to them you have a plan and there's a system to it, I think is valuable. Yeah. Interesting. And do you, I mean, are there any immediate applications that you see? Do you think you do a good job of this? Uh, I think I'm, if anything, probably on the other side of the spectrum, like you said, where I maybe over communicate, but the book is interesting because it's not so much taking the approach of saying you as the leader should behave this way. It's more saying empower other people to behave this way. So like if someone is coming to you again, they could be your employee or a, a peer, like a co-founder or something like ask them to give you that meta commentary rather than just re- reacting to what they say. And that will allow you to behave more like a supporting role to what they're doing rather than like this kind of, I'm in charge, I make the decision type leader. I struggle with that because I, it's not, I, I think I'm good at letting, I, I think I'm generally good at going great, make a decision. But I think to get to a point where that person's confident making the decision and feels trusted, you do actually mm-hmm. have to listen to them think. And I find that so boring. Oh, like, cause usually I've already thought through it or I've done what they're doing before. And it's like, you got this, go for it. But to, are you saying that you kind of have to listen to someone think out loud in order for them to feel like they're they're? I think so. Well, boring is one type. I think the more common reaction to this isn't that it's boring. It's that everyone reaches different decisions. I, I forget. I was listening to a podcast, uh, where they were talking about this, where it's like giving up that control like the other person does something differently from how you would. And if all you do is look at the end result, you'd look at it and be like, that's not, that's not what I would have done. Like this is bad. And the reality is if they give you that, if they think out loud and explain why they're doing it, you might be like, oh, this is different from how I do it, but there's reason behind it. And this maybe even is better than what I would have done. I just didn't understand what, where you were coming from. If you're just getting bored, but they're like otherwise uh, accomplishing things exactly how you want, then probably this isn't a good idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm definitely, I, I think, I think that's interesting. So this is more in a situation where as a leader, you have a subordinate making a decision that is different than you might make it. And mm-hmm. if you were in their situation and rather than, than just jumping to, I don't agree with your decision or questioning the decision instead, you know, focus on understanding why they made the decision and giving them room to explain that and encouraging them to explain that without you having to ask so that um, you may, you may be able to sort of, you know, not necessarily agree, agree with the decision, but just understand it and move on. Yeah. And then, so they feel like they were heard and all that. So anyway, and, and I think it's also probably a, a co-founder relationship would, would benefit Mm. from this just as well. It's not necessarily just leaders, subordinate, it's anyway. interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, my, my guess is that it's, it takes a lot. It it's probably in the, in the short term, pretty painful for a lot of founder personalities to listen to the explanations, um, or, or make time for the explanations, but it probably saves a ton of time over the long term. Um, it's kind of like the, when we go back to our conversations on trust, it's, this is a trust building exercise that has benefits over the long term, but short term it does there's a cost to it because it takes time. Yeah, I bet that's true across the board if you say I don't just want my teammates to be assembly line workers who do the work of today, I want them to be the leaders of tomorrow. I think just generally speaking, yes, it's going to be true that there's a cost associated with that type of mentorship and empowerment. 
But this is like one little thing, one of the many little things you have to do if you want to build a culture on trust and, um, you know, empower people. Yeah. So anyway, I'll keep reading this book and probably keep giving little ideas. I, I don't think even necessarily all of us should be doing every single thing this book says, but I have really enjoyed it. So strong I'm, recommend. I'm, I'm particularly interested in how you are applying this uh, at Less Annoying CRM. Is there, or is this just like sort of a, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. I need to be more aware of this and we're doing a good job of it. Or is it something you're going, the, you know, the, immediately like this is something I go, you go to your team with and say, we got to do this better. I'd say when I read a book normally, at the very least, it gives that low level, that first thing. Just now I'm aware of it and I can keep it in mind. I also do take notes, but I don't normally act on them until I'm done with the book. So I've got like three or four key concept concepts I've pulled out so far. I'm not doing anything yet, but I plan on it when I'm done with the book. Cool. It'd be interesting to hear about those as well um, in terms of application. Yeah. Cool. I'll try to give an update on it. What anyway, uh, what's... So I've got one other thing here. We talked last week about, I was kind of debating, should we go, should we build uh, features into Less Annoying CRM that are more suitable for bigger teams? Um, and in doing so, I've spent the last week brainstorming basically how permissions should work in the CR, in our product. And I don't really have anything interesting to say here, aside from just, I don't think my mind has been tied into knots more than it is right now in a long, long time. Um, I just, it's one of these challenges where I'm, I just can't, it's so complex and I can't figure it out. And I'm, I don't want to say I'm stuck because I think every day I have good ideas, but I just can't connect all the good ideas together to like a coherent plan. Mm. So I'm just kind of flailing around right now <laughs> are you working on this solo or do you have team members helping you i'm i'm owning the pro like it's mostly an individual contributor thing where i'm leading it but i am talking to people so i have every week i have a one-on-one -on -one with my brother slash co-founder we have talked about it and will continue to every week i do a group brainstorming session where a random assortment of people from the team just help me with whatever i'm working on we talked about it there so I'm getting input from people, but at the end of all those discussions, we're all just like, wow, I just have no idea. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to take this and try to do something with it. So anyway, permissions are really hard. <laughs> Is there an MVP that you're going, that you can focus on that's like the bare bones that make this simple and get it out and then deal with it later? I mean, I think that's what we already have. Okay. Like our product works for 10 to 20 user companies reasonably well, but we do have, a, so I, I, what I did is I asked around at the company and I said, especially for the customer service people, what are things where bigger accounts ask us if we have this thing? And when we say no, they're like, mm, okay, I'm probably going to use a different product then. Um, and this set of permissions thing. So for example, like, well, I need the, you know, the managers should have access to do everything. And then like the individual sales reps should be able to enter notes on their leads, but they shouldn't be able to delete leads but then the admin assistant should be able to delete leads but not see the manager's stuff. Just like kind of all those nuanced permissions, it sounds like that's the category of things that people need more of. And we, we have something that works reasonably well, but how do you make it more powerful without making it super complicated for the smaller accounts is a challenge. Have you looked at Salesforce, how Salesforce does this? Not in years, I haven't. No. Oh my gosh, it was such a painful, like, <laughs> complex, overly complex experience for a 50-person organization. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it was very useful for a thousand, thousands and thousands of employee organization. But 
man. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I can imagine the how hard it would be to design something that's functional for a thousand person company, but not like value destroying for a small business. Yeah. And I'm not even trying for a thousand. I'm just trying for, you know, 20, 30, 40 people here, but uh, I, I think I'm going to get it. It's just one of these things where sometimes you just have to keep, it, it feels really unproductive. I'm sitting here. I spent all day on this today and I think I wrote, like I have a little pad of paper. I wrote like six lines on it. That's what I did today. Now I think I made progress, but it, it just doesn't feel productive. You know, <laughs> I know what you mean. It's this all the work you're doing right now is going to make implementation a breeze once you get there, but you don't get any credit for this work because nothing's happening uh, in the code base. Yeah. Yeah. Is it weird that I feel, I feel like an employee who has to look like they're being productive to their boss, but where my boss is like all of my employees, I, I do have this like weird self-conscious, like, do they think I'm doing work when I spend a whole day just daydreaming and writing six lines on a pad of paper? <laughs> that and it, I, I mean, this is, kind of the topic that that I have um, when we're done with this one, it's like when you when you aren't making progress, you start to question whether you're working on the right thing um, and, and whether or whether you're wasting your time. And that can kind of really, I mean, that can really mess with you. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so I don't know if you're experiencing that at all with this. I mean, I, I am and I'm not. Like, I think I've got mostly gotten over this over the years where I'm like, well, especially we just handed off uh, prioritizing feature requests that customers give us, that's being handled by someone else. And those are like slam dunks, right? It's like, we know exactly what we need to build. Like literally hundreds of people have requested this. We, we know what to do. That's handled. And one of the reasons I handed that off is so now I can spend my time on these like, customers aren't going to ask for this because they don't know to. And it, it's like more, more of a kind of creative and proactive thing and less of a reactive thing. I think in the early days when it's just like one founder doing this all, it's really hard to make time for the proactive stuff. So I've tried to give myself permission to do more of this, but I still, in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, are people looking at you and wondering what the hell you're doing? <laughs> yep. Anyway, well, you said you've got something related. What's, what's up with you? Well, so, I mean, I spent a lot of the last few months uh, building the product and preparing for scale. Um, everything from you know, building the, you know, separating the app and the website, um, building a blog, building guides, really just building plumbing um, so that some, you know, someone out there who is a target customer of ours who buys their own health insurance could discover leg up health, sign up, either make us the agent or start shopping for health insurance and not have to talk to anyone completely self-service. And that's all built now. And, and so I've started to turn my attention back to Okay, how are we going to get? How are we actually going to make people discover it um, and go through that process? And I, I've done this twice now, I think, where I've gone heavy into product mode after being in, you know, creating some excitement around marketing and sales um, with user signups. And every time I I come back to these things, I have this feeling of oh crap! It's like it's like the water stopped running and. <laughs> you know, we're, we're in the middle of a drought. And, uh, I saw this, this, uh, tweet by a guy named, I can't remember his name. Is it Jack Butcher? Is that his, how you say it? Do you know this guy? I don't know him now. So this guy, Jack Butcher posted a tweet, um, that really made me think about this. Um, the most, and he said the most difficult thing to realize about running a business, 
no matter how good your product and how happy your customers are, the day you stop selling is the day you start dying. I, that totally makes like, explains how I've felt for the last week where it's, I did all this work on the product to make it good. I, my existing customers are super happy. I've done everything I need to do for them to, to over deliver service, but I have really taken my out the ball with marketing, any sort of awareness, driving outreach, or what you would call sales in in a lot of Mm -hmm. organizations. And I feel like I've died and like part of my business has died in the last couple of months as a part of that. So this week I've been working on, okay, how do I get that going again? Um, and it's you know really hard to get started when, when you are starting from nothing on that stuff um, because you have to like emotionally prepare for rejection. You have to, you know, you have to really pri- like prioritize things because you have to think about what to do, which requires you to sort of plan and prioritize. So it's felt like a really unproductive week on, on this front. Um, but today I, I kind of got to the point where, Outreaches are going out. People are responding. Meetings are getting scheduled. People are signing up. Um, and but the lesson is, I think, is a really important one. It's it's one I don't have, hope I don't have to learn again. And that is, I can't ever turn marketing off. So I'm quest- I'm curious. You said like it feels like the business is dying. What are the signs of that? Or is uh, it just a feeling you have? It's a feeling. Um, th- it's oh, you no one's signing up this week. But I thought but that they used would. To. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, it gets to Thursday and there's been a, a couple signups today. So, and I don't know who these people are. I don't know why they're signing up. It's not because of my outreach, but you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's those things. But like when I was doing outreach, I, you know, in our earlier episodes this year, you know, a lot more signups were, ha- things were happening. Right. And so I guess I just mean that it feels like we're stalled more so than dying. Um, but, but, uh, I think my big takeaway from this that I want to make sure that that I do. And I think this applies to a lot of people is when I go back to focus on product again, I want to make sure that I am going to maintain some weekly or monthly, like some minimum amount of monthly marketing so that I don't feel this again. Um, what do you want that to be? Cause I mean, I can somewhat hold you accountable here. <laughs> I don't know yet, but uh, cause okay. I'm fully, I'm fully focused on marketing now. Um, but at some point I'm going to come onto this, uh, podcast and I'm going to say, Tyler, just had a great, you know, month. I really, I'm gonna, t- I really want to switch back to focusing on product now. And I just need you to say, Rick, um, <laughs> remember to keep marketing while you do this. What's your plan for that? Yeah, that that meshes with my experiences. I, I've never really been the type that goes out and sells, but like something that I don't hear talked about enough is how much unattributable growth you get from doing what should be attributable sales and marketing. And what I mean is like. We've found if you do an AdWords campaign, you kind of have in your head, people click this link, they go to your landing page, they sign up, and you can track it all. We've noticed we get way more like non-trackable, like seemingly organic signups for maybe the next few months anytime we increase our advertising budget. So presumably people are seeing it and then like going on some other computer, not clicking the link or whatever, and they're they're going in. And I assume the same thing's true of sales and everything else. You, If you call people, if you put yourself out there, even if you, like, there's the stuff you can track, which is great, but it also creates this weird trickle of serendipitous, like, luck type of stuff that happens. Yeah, it's it's this, like, yeah, it's this, you make people aware. If you, if you actively make people, new people aware of your product, good things happen. If you stop doing that, 
nothing happens. Uh, and so, but, but it, it doesn't, nothing, it's not that nothing happens right away though. I think that's the key to what you're saying is it's like three months from now, everything's dried up. So you, you don't really see the cause and effect, which makes it really hard to stay disciplined about this stuff. Exactly. Yes. It's there, the, the, totally, especially in our businesses where you're, you're marketing to a very small business or one you know, person account and I'm marketing directly to consumers that the, it's this isn't this coin operated machine that you have in like enterprise b2b sales where you, you know you track an opportunity for two years and it finally closes this is something that you may, maybe reach out to someone a year ago and then you hit them again at the right time and then they started thinking about it and then three months later they sign up and become a customer it's very different um but yeah i guess yeah that's my, my goal is to as i'm as i'm building this marketing stuff back up to start creating a list of, of things to keep doing, um, like minimum marketing per month list. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, that, that should keep this from happening again. Um, I, but I, but it made me also think that this is a benefit of having, um, co-founders as a single co-founder. I, there's only one of me to go around. So wherever I'm, f- when I'm focusing on something like the product marketing, isn't by definition getting focused on, Whereas yeah. if like, do you remember when we were working together at Zane Benefits, you were the product guy and I was the sales and marketing guy. And we always were focused on those two things. And then, you know, with the majority of our time, and then we'd come together to collaborate, you know, when we needed to, um, I totally, like, this is a major disadvantage of a solo founder. I hear that. Or, or my case where it's two technical founders where, it's, you know, there's a lot of ways where we had that, you know, Bracken was worried about infrastructure and I was worried about front end product type stuff, but still nobody on the team was always making sure we were growing. And I, I think it reverberates into the DNA of the company today, right? We have one marketing person and one biz dev person at a 19 employee company, which is just like totally out of whack. If you look at any of our competitors, it's like half sales and marketing. Um, and I think it, it goes back to that, what, what you're saying. Do you, did you ever experience in the early days, was this just sort of like a slow growth curve for you guys and it just happened? Or, or did you have moments where you sort of had this panic of, we got to go do marketing? Yeah, I, I still have that today. As a matter of fact, this this earlier this year before the pandemic hit, Bracken and I did like an offsite. I flew to Boston and we had a, spent a whole week putting together a marketing plan for the whole year. Now the whole thing got blown up uh, when the pandemic hit. Because our plan was to go after travel agents, so that plan didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, all the time, to- all the time, I, I'm like, oh shit! And it's it's because you have one bad day. It doesn't matter that I have 11 years of history. You have one bad day, and you're like, what's wrong? Is the business broken? I have to do something. And so, and does is your cure for that feeling just to take action? Um, as soon as you take action, you start feeling better, or is it uh, is it time? What is it? I mean, it's time if things do get better on their own. I think that's a bit... So for me, it's not a real problem. I I mean, things could be better, don't get me wrong. But if I just wait, eventually, you know, the noise turns into a smooth curve and you can see, oh, we're still growing, things are okay. If that weren't true, then yeah, you'd have to take action, I think. I normally don't, though. Yeah, cool. Cool. Yeah. You said something... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You said something that just made me... remember something I wasn't planning on talking about, but you mentioned like I'm selling to one person businesses. Um, So I I generated a report for myself this week, which is actually the first time I've written code in a while. Uh, So that was fun to dive in because I'm working on this team thing. Like how, you know, I wanted to see, for example, 
what percentage of our company customers are one user accounts? What percentage are two users and so on? And then within that, sharing permissions, what percentage of our multi-user accounts can everyone see everything? What percentage can no one see? Like, is there no sharing and stuff like that? So I'm curious. I'm just going to, this is a trivia or a, like a quiz for Rick. Are, we average 2.3 users per account. What percentage do you think are single user accounts? I'm going to go 80 to 90%. The number is 63%. Really? So it's 63 are single users, 13% are two users, 7%, 4%, 3%, and then it kind of trickles down almost nothing. Uh, our biggest account's like 130 or something like that. I should have asked that question um, d- before I answered. Do, do you, man, that, tell, that tells me that you have a lot of two, three, you know, to 10 person accounts that are probably that means that you probably have an opportunity to attract more of those that you that because you're not marketing to those people right now. Yeah, I th- I think so, and, and in a sense, I actually think we are marketing to them, and then we we just don't. I think we have product market fit with one to three users, and I mean, don't get me wrong, we've got 349 accounts with five users exactly, so. That's probably product market fit in some sense of it, but there's a lot of room for growth there. There's huge room for growth there. Like, and yeah. it's, I mean, wow, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah. So I'm getting more, last week we talked about how far up market should you go and stuff like that. And I'm getting, I'm, I'm really focusing in more on like, we already have a pipeline of these people. I, all I have to do is just talk to our current customers and the, the free trial users and figure out what they need. And I think it's not going to like double our growth, but if we can just pick off a few more of these 5, 10, 20 user accounts that are trying us but not using us, I think it could be a big deal. I love one, it. one other one other trivia or what trivia suggests you would have any clue. Out of all of our accounts, what percentage do you think everyone at the comp at the, every user on the CRM can see all of the contacts? Like everyone shares everything. Okay, this is interesting. I'm going to guess how how well, let me ask you this. It how hard is it to find those settings? And is it covered during the coaching onboarding? It's not covered during the coaching, but when you add a user, it's one like one of the things is what should this person be able to see? So they can kind of can't help but answer this question. And, and what is the what are the questions? It's just like it's a little convoluted, but this you're adding a user. Can this user see other users' contacts? Can other users see this user's contacts? I'm gonna go with like 10%. I thought it would be low too. 65% of our customers, everybody shares everything with each other. Well, that's okay. I, what if you took uh, out... Of our multi-user accounts. Uh, really? Now, admittedly, a lot of those are two-user accounts. So with a two-user account, it makes a little bit more sense. But still, 65 seemed high to me. Wow. I figured like if you, had, if you have at least one non-owner employee, you put restrictions on that person. Yeah. And there could be other restrictions, like maybe they can't export or something like that. But in terms of being able to see the data, 65%. Cool. So, That's very cool. Anyway, uh, I've, I've enjoyed diving into these numbers, and it's kind of helped that you know brain teaser I've been working on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. What else from you? That's all the updates I have. I mean, the, the, just sort of going a little bit further in detail on what I'm working on this week, uh, it, I am, I, I've, I've basically have taken care of all of the what I need to do for my existing clients. So those are just coming in now. And so I'm starting to do outreach. I just finished drafting right before this podcast, a, I want your business, uh, template, which is mm-hmm. 
once I, which is for when I know someone and I've had conversations with them about leg up health and I know that they buy their own individual health insurance and it's me basically putting it all out there going, Hey, what do I need to do to earn your business and become your agent? Um, so I just drafted that. I'm about to send that to eight people as a test, people that I know who haven't yet made me uh, the agent. I'm interested in see how that performs because I, I have not directly asked anyone um, since my initial customer interviews to make us the agent myself. I've let the software do that. Yeah. Um, and so these people either signed up and then did not sign the agent of record letter, agent of record letter when it was sent to them, or they haven't signed up for an account yet. And and uh, so I'm I'm just going to put it out there and basically say we want to be make us your agent. What do we need? To, I want to be your agent. What do I need to do to earn your business and see what happens? Cool. That seems great. Like over the well, especially right now, right? Because we're in open enrollment. Are you saying that in there? Like if you're thinking about open enrollment stuff, one of the benefits of doing this is I'll answer these questions for you. So what I do is I, you know, I'm trying to make it independent of open enrollment so that I can use the same thing in January, but. I'm for this one. Um, I'm I'm focused on uh, saying that is one of the benefits. So it goes through like first, like here are the four benefits to you of doing this. One, you can do this in two minutes online. It's not going to take any time. Mm-hmm. Two, it's free and nothing changes with your existing coverage. Three, you'll immediately start receiving monthly updates uh, with deductible with how much of your deductible you're using. And four. We'll streamline annual open enrollment for you and ensure that you have uh, the best coverage at the best price. Hmm. That makes sense. But if I can push back on not wanting to make it open enrollment specific, it seems very possible to me that you could have a model where during the year you're getting all these free, what are effectively leads. They're like users, quote unquote, but they're not, you're not making any money off of them. And open enrollment is that moment where you convert them. And then, you know, you just did that, but on a small scale. And then over the next year, you'll get a bunch more of these kind of free users. And probably next November is the right time to convert them. Yeah. So I, so those are in a different bucket for me. Those are people who I haven't, uh, they're people that, I, that I've that i sent an email out to saying, uh, we can help you with, with open enrollment this year. These are as a separate batch of people who I expect will keep the same plan that they have and not shop. Okay. Um, and so I'm trying to hit them with a, with message, but you to your point, like what I could do is just add a little something in there at the end, saying, "And by the way, yeah, um, you know, and you know, you, we, you know, if you are if you are shop are considering, you know, if you're interested in looking at all your options this year, we'll streamline this year for you too." Yeah. It, okay. Well, with that, with what you just said, I, I get what you're saying. It is just so novel to me that you, all of your users, do not give a shit about what you do for, you know, 364 days out of the year. And you know that one day that they do care. And it's just such an incredible opportunity to get engagement in that moment. You bet. And so, yeah, that, it's interesting that you say that. I want to make a share a couple of things that, that are interesting. One, um, the people who have experienced value have have already given a lot of, have referred people. So I've had referral signups this week awesome. um, and in the past months. But what I didn't realize is that a lot of the people who became the made me the agent on earlier in the year through customer interviews, they really didn't get a ton of value out of the software other than the monthly updates every month mm-hmm. because they, di- they didn't have a life event. You know, they didn't have a, a need to ask questions about their health insurance. They didn't use their health insurance. And so now it's open enrollment and I've already, I've started to deliver value to them with the open enrollment notice. I told them exactly how much their premium was changing. 
and, and we're having interactions. And once they go through that, that experience and they get admit, they, they either make a confident decision to renew their current coverage or switch a confident decision to switch to a new piece. They're like, okay, wow. And then I get it. I get it. Right. <laughs> yeah, and so that's awesome. I'm still like my initial users, like I came into open enrollment with 16 clients. Um, those people are just like half the majority of those people are just now going, Oh, I get it now. And so mm-hmm. this is it's still so early in the business in terms of what I would call uh, ecstatic clients that it's hard to know what the referral effect is. But I'm the science point to that, that once people, once clients get the value, they're going to tell people about it multiple times per year and that will lead to cl- more clients. But that takes time to build up on yeah. uh, in terms of a delay. It fits a classic... Have you seen, there's like this graphic that at one point was kind of famous for teaching something like jobs to be done. I'm not sure if it was exactly that, but it's like a group of people, like young, cool people sitting around a dinner table. And one is like, I bought this really cool camera. Like there's a talk bubble and someone's saying, I bought this really, do you know what I'm talking about? No, no, keep going. So person's looking at their friend saying, I bought this really cool camera. And then it's saying, no one ever says that. And then there's a different slide that says, I took this really cool picture. And it's like, that's what they want to say. But I, I feel like what you've got here, that's like, I'm really torturing. I don't know why I even said that, but what you've got here is a thing people will want to tell their friends in a dinner table. Cause like everybody stresses out about this decision. And to, if I could go around and be like, I can solve this problem for you. I can solve this problem for you. Just go talk to Rick. I'd be telling every friend I've got about that. Makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. And so that's long-term, that's a very good sign Short term, it's a little bit, it's not as good as I expected because it it, it takes so long to deliver value yeah. um, for some it's of these like users. It's like a yearly cycle sort of. Yes. So, yeah. Um, but th- the other thing I'll share is that um, election week was dead. last Like last week, man, totally dead. Yeah, it was dead for us too. I, I think just like commerce stopped last week. <laughs> yeah. And so... All of a sudden, like right before this, like right before we got on this episode to record, got on to record this episode, four people like scheduled meetings or signed up to start, mm. to start shopping for people that are not current clients. And so I, I, in addition to my kind of your, to your point earlier of like, just wait, I'm, I'm ramping up action, but I'm also just starting to see like, okay, the elections, you know, for the most part over. Um, yeah. And people are going to procrastinate. Uh, open enrollment ends, what, December 15th? Like people are going to yes. procrastinate, I yes. assume. So, so get, get ready to not sleep for a few nights there. <laughs> I'd be, listen, if it's because I'm enrolling people and helping clients, like getting clients, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, cool. I'll tell you, speaking of something, we haven't talked about this yet on the podcast, but we just sort of mentioned it was the election. Is that, are we intentionally avoiding that subject? You know, it's so funny. It's the only thing I've thought about like last week. And then when we started recording, life seemed normal again. And I, it completely slipped my mind. I didn't even think about saying anything about it. <laughs> I was not you, intentionally avoiding it. Yeah. So should we intentionally avoid it or should we talk about it real quick? I don't know. Talk about it. Sure. Uh, I'm scared of Trump. That there's going to be like a coup. He scares me. He's yeah. very scary. And it's, it's funny. Um, you always, you know, it's 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 kind of like the situation of you ha- if you have a really poor performing employee and you don't take action on it for a long time and then you finally do and that person's no longer there you're like I should have done that a long time ago 
Yeah. And I mean, even scarier than that, I'm not really a student of history, but when, you know, on Twitter or news articles or whatever, you see other people who know their history really well, they kind of say every time there's like a major threat to some to democracy or, you know, anytime there's a fascist dictator type person, they always start out like they're a joke, right? Like no one takes them seriously until it's too late. And then they kind of flip the switch and it's like, oh, I'm, I wasn't as much of a joke as you thought. And a lot of people, I think, are taking what he's doing right now, like, well, he lost the election, nothing can happen. Oh, look at these terrible lo- like lawsuits that where he's getting every single one of them thrown out of court. It's like, while he's doing that, he's firing every single leader in the military. Like <laughs> the, the fact that, that he's taking so much um, executive action as a lame duck now, uh, or a, li- a 99% likely named lame duck, like, it's scary. He's planning something. There's yeah, there's no reason to do that stuff otherwise. Yeah, and then add on to that the COVID numbers. Oh my god, I I think I'm I'm glad. I mean, the stock market surged when Biden won. I I think he's going to walk into the biggest shit show we've ever seen, like bigger than March. <sighs> well. Okay. Well, that was fun. Thanks for bringing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah think, I don't think I want to talk about it anymore with you. Yeah. God. Okay. Um, I wanted to give a shout out here, uh, to Chris Spaggs, who is, I've mentioned I'm in this mastermind group, um, through founder summit. And it, so every week we kind of do a hot seat where one founder does a deep dive and his was last week. So I learned a little bit more about his business, which is called jet boost. Um, first of all, it was just, in, it's, it was interesting. It seems like a really a good business and one that like I would bet on. I, I really think it's going to work, but it's of note to this podcast because we talk about Webflow all the time. Have you heard of uh, JetBoost? Yes, you have. Is it like it's very front of mind? Like it's a brand you couldn't possibly miss. Recently, yes, I would Recently. say it was it, it, months ago. It was something that I kind of like noticed, but it was like, oh, it seems like a good idea. Now it's like I can I would consider it for, for some reason. It flip switched. Uh, recently, a, sl- a switch flipped recently, um, and I and I now see JetBoost as the go-to sort of add-on for Webflow embedded search, um, or you know, even I think they're working on a social sharing, yeah, uh, add-on, but like really useful content add-ons for Webflow. Yeah, I think there's four like products right now, but the, yeah, uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming. And I think the idea is, yeah, if you use Webflow, you know, Webflow is serving such a broad audience, they can't build for every single thing. Here's like a little add-on bundle where it's almost a no-brainer to, to use it if, if you're in the right, you know, niche within the Webflow community. So I, I just thought it was really cool learning about it and it looks like a cool product. I think they're going to kill it. Um, and I think they're barely scratching the surface, both of in terms of people using what they're doing and then the different little things they can build to make Webflow more useful. Yeah. I also like now that I have a little insight into how he's thinking about running the business and stuff. I think he's going to be very hard to compete with because oh, the, I wish, the way I wish you would share this stuff. I got to his name. <laughs> his name's I, I, I Chris. Think yeah, Chris. He's really he's pretty he's he's pretty accessible. Um, yeah, yeah, he's so. out there. But I, I think I can say something that I asked his permission before I mentioned him at all. I, I, I think he'd be comfortable with me saying this: that one of his competitive advantages is going to be like he's got a head start right now in what's going to be a much much bigger market. The way you shoot yourself in the foot here is you get greedy and you create oxygen for competitors to come along and suck up. I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think he's going to he's going to be profitable and grow fast and stuff like that. But I don't think he's going to like 
you know, you raise your prices too much or you get too greedy or make it too complicated and then someone can come in and undercut you. I don't see that happening here. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I will sign up for jet boost in the future. I have, I don't, it's not worth the, like figuring out how to implement it and paying for it right now. But I, I am a future jet boost customer at leg up health. It's just, a, it's not, it's a matter of when. So do you know their, their pricing model though, where like how it works for free? No, it's brilliant. You can use it for free if you only publish it to the Webflow provided subdomain. And then as soon as you publish it, to a, publish it to a custom domain, it costs money. So you could, in theory, like get it set up, test it out, and then not pull the trigger if you wanted. And I should be honest, I, I did know about that. But the real, like, their price is so low for the value that it provides that it really isn't a price thing. It's an implementation cost. Yeah. And so it's like, that makes sense. My, my, you know, my con my my content's good enough right now. Once I have people who are like trying to use it more, I'll I'll need to make it more usable for the user. Then I'll then that's when Jetboost comes in. Yeah, for sure. Cool. I I should also are say, you, are you using Jetboost? No, we're not. Uh, we're not getting nearly as much out of Webflow as someone like you is. Like we're not building anything fancy with it, so we don't really need it. But I definitely. What about your help articles? Are you not using Jetboost for that, or do you build your own? We tools. need, so we're using uh, Swift type for search on that. We don't need, what, what Jetboost does is it's like search within the Webflow site. What we need is really good index search that we can embed in our app. So it's kind of a different problem, but um, I, now, I'm glad to, now I know all the things they can do. Like you can make it so people can like articles, for example. Um, we don't need that, but if that comes up, we would definitely add that. Yep. I, I, um, I think it's a great, great, Chris is an inch, that company's going to do well. I I'm jealous of you for being in a mastermind group with Chris <laughs> and, and being able to follow that company more closely. Yeah, I, there are some other cool companies too. I don't want to make it sound like I'm only calling him out, but because we talk about Webflow so much and that's what he builds, it seemed particularly relevant. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, you got a rant here, huh? <laughs> well, I'm going to try to keep this not. It's it's definitely like a complaint um, or more of a like a. Hey, here's a problem, people. Whoever's listening out there, it'd be nice if someone solved it. But I don't want this to sound like I'm throwing any anybody under the bus who is a no-code service provider. I'm big fans of the no-code ecosystem and where it's where it's where it is now, and where, especially where it's going. But one thing these guys really suck at is being transparent, like about what's coming in the future. Communication from the no-code service providers has been really, really poor. Um, and I don't know what to do about it other than like be a broken record and keep asking, but I'll just give two examples. Um, first of all, member stack is my favorite no code. One of my favorite no code tools. It is a log, basically user authentication system that with very limited code, you can, uh, you know, integrate, you create a login system for your Webflow hosted site among other types of sites. And, you know, you know, Adalo is another one. Adalo is a St. Louis, Missouri-based company where Tyler's from that has a basically a you could build an app in a box and deploy it to the mobile app stores on Apple and um, Android without coding. It's all visual design and very powerful stuff. Like you can do some pretty cool stuff. But when you want to make build a business using these tools, you've got uh, your own product that you're building. And when you're building your own product, you have your own roadmap. When you're not coding things yourself, you are 
limited to the no code tools that you build that you build your stack on top of. And when you don't know what the hell the no code service providers are doing in their roadmap, you can't make good decisions about how to build your own software on no code. And it seems so obvious to me, you know, that this is a problem, but for whatever reason, it doesn't seem obvious to the no, a lot of the no code service providers that like, once you get into like someone building a product on top of your product, you have to be uber transparent about what you're working on and what you're not working on so that people can make, so that your users can make, you know, good decisions about what to put sync development resources into uh, on their own product. Okay. So I sympathize with the problem you're facing, but I'm going to, I'm going to take their side just if for another reason than to play devil's advocate here. Do you know any software company that's transparent about their roadmap? Yeah, I mean, here's one in the no code space, Airtable. What like what what's their road? I'm not familiar with. I, I know Airtable, but here's like, what we're, here's what we're working on right now. Here's um here is you know what's been deployed recently. Here's um here's what is on queue. Here's why the, all these things are where they are. We okay. do not we do not plan to work on this. You know, we do plan to work on this. That's very rare. Good for Airtable. I didn't know they do that. That's very rare. And I think most but why, people who but, have but run, it, but why is it rare? I know, I, I know it's I'm, rare. I'm, <laughs> I think most people who have run product teams, whether it's no code or not, just any software, is estimating how long it takes to build software and like, and and locking yourself into these priorities. It's so common for other things to come up, and then we've told people, "Oh, we're going to work on that next." And then three years later, it's like, well, it turns out when we said that to you, it was a mistake, and I don't want to be locked into that. And let's be very clear. I am not expecting anyone in this space or outside of this space to share a roadmap and commit to anything. I am simply asking for some transparency on what you're thinking about and why, so I can make the best possible guess at what's going to be available in the future. I mean, this- But think this about the sig- expectations that sets. Then people get, they're like, I made decisions at my business, my livelihood, based on a thing you said a year ago and you didn't that thing didn't come up, people would be even more mad if about that, I, I feel I, like. I understand that some people may do that because they're stupid. Um and and because they've taken what in this case, let's say Memberstack has done and abused it. And because let's say Memberstack does what I what I wanted to do, which is, hey, here's what we right now plan to get done or work on for the next few months. Here's what's on queue after that. Big asterisks. You know, oh, here's an explanation of why we've prioritized these things. We'll update changes as we have them. Um, by the way, note, you know, er, alert, alert. Nothing's written in stone here. These are not promises, but here's, here's, you know, what we're working on. Yeah, but what you're saying is you, what you, the reason you want this information is so that you can make critical decisions about your business based on what they say. That's no, a lot that's of pressure. Not, that's not what on. I'm, that's not what I'm asking for. What I'm asking for is to be able to have the ability to guess what they're working on. Cause right yeah. now it's a black box. <laughs> I have no idea what they're working on. And, and this is, this has two, there, there, there says two things. One, should I use member stack at all? Like, do, will it work for me or should I go ahead and switch to a, a more sophisticated user authentication system and just code mm-hmm. it? That's one question I have that would benefit them to address. The second 
The second one is, should I build a workaround for a current limitation that, you know, that takes a lot of time or should I, that, that, or should I, you know, should, you know, should I shortcut this workaround and wait to see if they're going to develop this? Any information that could help me make that decision would be useful and I will not hold it against them. Anyway, I you, hear you, you clearly disagree. I think they could be, so I think in general, people or companies are terrible at informal communication. And I definitely think they could say more than they're saying. Um, being a black box is not good, but I'm just saying I sympathize with how careful they need to be because we run into this all the time and people don't build on us the way they build on um, no-code tools where like we'll tell someone so like what's what's next up right now? Universal search, which basically like being able to search more than just contacts. Like right now you can only search contact and company information in the CRM. You can't search notes and emails and stuff yet. One of our developers, that's his next project right now. It wouldn't be, if we said that and someone someone could reasonably sign up, this happens all the time. They sign up, they pay us, and a year later they're like, where is it? And they're mad. And they wouldn't have been mad if we just had never said, hey, you know, we're not, uh, yeah, it's on the list. Thanks, noted, but I'm not going to say anything about priorities or anything like that. The, the, if they have no expectations, they can't get mad about it. I think no code is different than yeah. what, what you're talking about. And I think that there's, it, for no code tools to, to succeed, they're going, you know, with, with significant implementations, they're going to have to improve on this. I, I believe they will, but it's frustrating right now as they're figuring it out. Um, Member Stack, I just want to call out, they have, um, they are working hard to address this issue, but I mean, my frustration is that it, it's something I've been asking for for months, and it's and, and so it's it can't come too soon at this point. Can I pivot a little bit and like generalize this and say I think there is a bigger problem in the software space where yeah. companies get away with acting in a sort of arrogant way with not having this type of servant leadership, like I am here to serve my customers attitude that traditional businesses have because of lack of competition. Like technology changes so fast. If you're on the forefront of something, you're the only one doing it. You don't have that competitive pressure to be really, really responsive to your customers. And it's not, it's what you're talking about, but it's also like a lot of podcasts I listen to from, obviously if I'm listening to the podcast, I respect the people saying it, but it's so common for them to just talk like, you know, fuck your, they don't say this exactly, but they're basically saying, fuck your customers, raise the prices as high as you possibly can. And like, don't like, why would you offer better? Don't offer phone support. That's annoying. And it's like, if y'all knew what competition was like, come join me in the CRM space and try that shit. Like you're going to get that competition at some point, And then you're going to have to actually try. <laughs> and yeah, if you haven't done that before, it's going to be really hard to do because uh, it hasn't been baked into your, you know, your operations like you're like, uh, it has for you. Yeah. Yeah, the member stack is doing I want to be very clear. Member stack is definitely a service focused company. They're doing a lot of great job. They're communicating and they're and they're and they're trying, but they're just not transparent yet on their future roadmap and I I'm not asking for them to be uber transparent. I'm just asking to have some inkling yeah, of that's of what's what's com what's coming down the pipe so that I can make um you know a more educated decision on my own roadmap. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks for listening to that. I feel bad. <laughs> I feel a little bit better, but I feel bad too because I really like Member Stack. But I feel like someone needed to say something. You really taught them a lesson. <laughs> I don't think I did. I hope I didn't. They don't feel that way. Oh gosh. I. They will never know you said this. <laughs> 
What um so real quick topic that I think we can cover in the next, you know, five minutes. Um goals in the early days. Okay, so obviously you're a a more substantial company. You um you can probably set a goal, have it be reasonable and attainable and be a good goal, and then mar- march, you know, work with your team to march towards that goal. And I'm sure you do that. Um to some extent, you yeah, you, maybe you, less than you think, but yeah, yeah, okay. So, you know, at my last company, goals were a big deal. I was terrible goal setter. I had expectations at the board level. Uh, when I would bring a goal to the board level, they'd say that's not big enough. When I'd go to my management team and and the employees, they'd say that scares the hell out of me. That's not attainable. I could never get alignment on like a good goal, but that's <laughs> mm-hmm. a different problem. Um, I, I we could have got we had the information to set a reasonable goal at a point. Um, but at this point at leg up health, it's like, what is a good goal is like, I said, I mean, I've been operating under the goal of getting 75 clients by the end of the year, but I'm going like, what? I have no idea if that's a good goal or not. It's a finger in the wind, just throwing out a number. I had zero clients at the beginning of the year. How do you set goals? Should you set goals in the early days of a company? And what, like how, when, how quickly should you abandon them? Like what, you, <laughs> like yeah. I feel like I look at this goal and it's like, maybe it's attainable, maybe it's not, but it's like, it's actually not helpful to look at the goal anymore. Right. So what's, you said, you're sure I do this. And I said, maybe less than you think, like, let's back up. What is the point of having a goal at all? Like, what purpose does it serve? Why did you even set this goal of 75 uh, users? I wanted to challenge myself. So I guess my, one of the reasons I don't use goals as much as a lot of people do is I'm not motivated by them. So like, if I'm going to work just as hard towards what I want, and it's not going to impact my behavior, the goal doesn't serve a purpose. The goal only matters if it changes your behavior, I think. It's not changing my behavior. Yeah. So like, let, let's, let's give an example where it definitely changes behavior. You're a sales rep. If you hit this goal, you get a bonus. It could seriously change your behavior, right? You could call up all your customers and be like, you are going to sign up next month. Sign up right now. I'll give you a discount because I need to hit this goal or something like that. So it, it certainly, I'm not saying goals can't matter, but yeah, I, if, if it's not changing your behavior and you're stressed out looking at it. <laughs> yeah. The, and the, the other thing I would say is like the goal that I really want, what I really want to figure out is not a number of clients. It's how to get clients. Yeah. And so like, I'm playing this game with myself by setting that goal. I'll be forced to figure out how to get clients. But in reality, I just want to just figure out how to get clients. I don't care about how many I get. And right. it's, how do you deal with like that? There was a really interesting conversation about this on, oh, I've listened to way too many podcasts and I can't remember which one it is. Um, but someone was talking about this where they, they were setting a goal for themselves, but what they really cared about was the trajectory. They had like a you know number of customers at the end of the year, but they were like, I don't care if I'm half that if if the trajectory is right. You know, the goal's much less like there's some kind of curve between where you are and where you want to be. And the question is like not where are you on that curve? The question is have you validated that the curve goes where you want it to? That's exactly it Sounds kind of like that's what yeah, yeah, totally. And so how do you set a goal f- like that? So again, I'd go back to do you need to? And I think it's much more important if you have a team, if you were worried that like you might have to bail this question is goals in the early days. A lot of businesses don't work and you have to bail at some point. I think goals can be really helpful for that because it's like, what's the sign going to be that I'm giving up on this? But I don't think you're really questioning that 
Are the you? only the the only reason that I, this would be a give up thing is that I couldn't figure out how to get clients, which is right. why I have that as my goal. But you you'll in, intuitively feel that like like some people would say if I'm not at seventy five clients by January first, I'm shutting the business down. That's not what you're saying with this no, goal. No. So I would just if if it were me, and I'm I'll admit I'm incredibly undisciplined about this, and a lot of people have judged me like we don't do KPIs and OKRs and. That, oh, sorry, we do KPIs, we don't do OKRs, whatever. We don't do a lot of goals, a less knowing CRM. Um, but I would just, if I were in your shoes, say, I'm as motivated as I need to be. I'm focused and have clarity on what I need to work on. Goals would not help with where I'm at right now. So the reason I set this goal too uh, is because Lena's on my team and I wanted to give her some context. But I could just as easily said, instead of saying 75 clients, I could have said, we want to figure out how to get clients. And we'll know it when we feel it. That's the goal. Yeah. There's also, um, I've, again, I have maybe not a typical management style. When I'm working with employees, I prefer input goals rather than output goals. A lot of people are going to disagree with me on this because they want employees to feel like owners and be innovative and this and that. What I want to do is take the pressure off them and say, listen, you know, I'm going to help you figure out what you need to do. And if you go do it, you don't have to, like, you're not going to get fired or whatever based on the outcome, right? Uh, So, Rather than saying, I want you to make 70, I want you to get 75 customers, you can say, I want you to make this many cold calls, put together a lead list of this much, build a marketing kit, whatever the inputs are, that's a different way to set goals where you're not quite as like, this means nothing. Like, who knows if we're going to hit that goal? But, but, but would the, would the, in that case, do you provide an outcome that you're trying to hit as context? I don't. I so, don't. You, so you just say, like, listen, we, we, we don't really, don't worry about what our goals are. I'll tell you if the company's doing well or not based on KPIs and um, you know whether we're tracking where we forecasted or not, uh, mm-hmm. where we plan to be. Uh, and then you know your your job is to do you know is to to work on the right things based on discussions that we have and get those things done as we set them. Um, and that's that's your job. Period. The end. Yeah, I should say I still I send an email out every week that says here's. Well, once a month, it includes financial numbers. It's here's our growth rate. Was this a good or a bad month? What's working? What's not working? So I'm not saying like keep people in the dark about what's going on in the business. But, and and again, maybe I don't have this figured out. But what I do is I say, if like, let's say someone I meet every two weeks with, if two weeks from now you've done these things, you're good. That That's what I'm hoping for you to do. More so than whatever the outcome of those two things would be. It's my job yeah. to make sure the outcome works out. Yeah, so you're basically saying, listen, um, the outcome and look, quick exercise. The outcome I want is to have a pr- have confidence that I can grow leg up health in 2021, right? Mm-hmm. Which means mm-hmm. I want to like I want to know that I can get clients so- somewhat predictably. So that's the outcome I want, and I just need to manage Lena in this case or any team member I have um, to make sure just that she's working on the right stuff every week towards that goal. But she doesn't need to worry about that goal. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fun to share it with her as like a, whether it's 75 or the vague thing of, we just want to know we can find repeatable stuff. People want to know the purpose behind what they're doing, but that's different from, here's a number you need to hit and, uh, you know, are you nervous if you don't hit it? Like, <laughs> that type yeah. of, some people respond to that, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, and I think I think what's happening probably right now for me and probably to a certain extent for her is we're looking at this number and going, oh, I don't know if we're going to hit that right now. We just had a bad week. You know, election week was not what we expected it to be. The first week right. of open enrollment. Um, 
are we going to hit that goal? And it's like, I don't really care. Like, I don't want you thinking about that. I, you know, and so it's, it's actually having a negative Im- impact in this, in this case. Yeah. When, now, when you, you do, do yeah, you ever, yeah. do you ever change your goal? Like, have you ever been on like having an outcome that is clear to the company that you clearly, they don't own, but you own and you're like, Oh, this is no longer, we're changing this. Um, yes. I'm not sure I necessarily need to like announce it when I do, because it's not, I never build up any particular outcome as being all that important. I'd say, so I want to be clear. I'm not like very deliberate about this. So this is not me standing on a Ted stage saying, this is how you should do it. This is just what I do. I think I tend to, rather than set goals set, like if we hit this, that would mean that. So for example, like we we talked about my financial numbers last week and you kept calling them like forecasts and I kept saying they're not forecasts. It's just what do we need to hit to not lose money? And it's $30,000 in ARR growth a year. My employees know that. That's your goal. Sort of. But then I'm like, but maybe we can do better. Like if it's 40,000, then we can probably hire someone next year. And if it's 50,000, we can probably hire someone next year and add 401k matching. Um, or something like that. And so it's it's not that there's a specific goal. It's just give people context about how the performance of the company will impact them and the rest of the business. That's what I do. Okay. So you're just anti-goals in general. I, I You know, we all have our own personalities and that kind of gets like kind of into the DNA of the company. Um, I'm not like theoretically anti-goals, but it just doesn't feel like... I am not motivated by them. And so I've never made that a big part of my leadership style. What motivates, what do you use as a motive? So forget the motivation for a second. One useful aspect of goals is focus. How do yeah. you create focus at Less Than CRM? Yeah. So I'd, maybe I don't necessarily use this term, but like themes is sort of this type of thing where at the beginning of this year, like I mentioned earlier, the theme was we're going to go after travel agents and like, this is going to be the big thing. Like other stuff's going to be going on. The customer service team will be doing what they do. There will be some product improvements unrelated to travel agents, but the theme is go get travel agents. In other words, instead of saying, here's our goal and letting that drive focus, you're saying, here's what we're going to focus on right now. Yeah. (laughs) Which is much more effective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe, I don't know. If you're running a sales team, I think having those numbers is really helpful. I think that's true once you figure out a formula and then you're saying like, listen, you know, mm. this formula if works. Informed, if yeah. you do the formula, <laughs> then you can do this. But right now it's like, we don't have a formula. We need to figure out the formula. So this having where, a goal, go ahead. Yeah. This drives me crazy about like uh, so much about early stage startup stuff, for example, going and pitching investors and it's got all these numbers like, oh, we're going to be at 300 million in revenue in 2026. And it's like, shut the fuck up. You have no idea. Like <laughs> these numbers mean nothing. <laughs> Oh gosh, that that was my like. You remember how I stated earlier, like getting the board to like get to a attainable goal. It's like I can throw any number. What, what do you want the goal to be? Because yeah, it clearly right. doesn't matter what we can hit. It's like <laughs> tell me what you want the number to say in twenty twenty three. I'll put the number in. I can always change the inputs. Yeah, it's like, exactly. It's such bullshit, man. Um, but you don't have to deal with that in a startup glass company because there's no investors. Yeah. If, if you take pressure off people, people are, in my experience, most people are intrinsically motivated to do good work as long as you don't punish them for not playing the game, right? That's why everyone's this cog in a machine at other companies is because they're punished for not being a cog. If you just say, hey, I trust you, you're going to do good work. I, I just intrinsically trust you want the same thing I want. 
they're going to go get it done. Like it's not that hard. And just to wrap this conversation up with a quick reflection on my part, I think I set the wrong goal um, and, and wasn't clear about why I set it in terms of what I wanted to focus on. And I think that's created some confusion for my wife uh, who I talked to about this for Lena and then also for myself because it doesn't j- it doesn't jive with what I really want to focus on. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, being thoughtful about this, however you do it is is important even in the early days, which is my main takeaway. And I probably don't, I probably, I can use, I can call it whatever I want to, but I need to be very thoughtful about what, wh- how I get, how I, fo- um, exp- how I create focus at the organization for myself and for others, because if I do it wrong, it, it can create some noise. Yeah. Yeah. I think focus from what everything you've said, I, I think focus is the operative word goal or no goal. It's what do I need to work on today to achieve what the business needs? And then the secondary question, what is, how do I motivate myself and others to accomplish, to, to, to make a lot of progress in that area of focus? And you don't need a goal to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, or goals could do it, but there's other ways to do it too. Yeah. I, I, I buy all that. Cool. Sounds right to me. All well, right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about today? No, sign us off. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.